as we go into this sermon today, um, I think it's important for us to think for a moment and to reflect on the songs and the words that we just sang and the way that we declared them out loud and expressed them. Uh, hopefully they came from our hearts. And I want you to think about the words that you just sang as we think about the topic that we're going to talk today about, uh, talk about today, marriage. And uh, I think sometimes we look at worship and we look at some of these things that we express, our faithfulness to God, and we, we think that those are more related to a ministry that we're going to be involved in or whatever. But I want us to really think about the songs and the words that we declare today, God's faithfulness and God's provisions and, and our surrendering to Him and needing Him and, and declaring all these truths to Him, that these also now apply to the topic that we want to dig into. I was talking to my wife today on the way here, and I said to her, like, I'm not going to have a lot of time because we planned for not having a lot of time. So I asked her, do you think it's okay if I would say this to the church before I started my sermon? And she said yes, so if you don't like it, blame her. Um, I said to, to her, I want to say to the church, I don't have a lot of time today, so we're just going to have to be blunt. So you good with that? We're just going to be direct. I'm not going to try to explain things that maybe are not clear because we don't have time to explain some of these things. And we're talking, we're going through the series, and we've been in it now for quite some time, and we're wrapping up in two, uh, in two more weeks, and we're wrapping up the series called Healthy. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about, obviously, was this topic of marriage, having a healthy marriage. And much has been said on this topic, and we could spend months and months on this. But I want to start us by looking at the topic of attitude before we even dig into the topic of marriage. Because there's something about attitude that needs to be understood because our attitudes are incredibly powerful. For better or worse, our attitudes affect every area of our lives, including the people that we love most. Your attitude has a profound impact on the way you lead and view people. It has, it'll uh, impact, if you're a customer service person, it impacts your ability to do customer service. And if you've ever gone somewhere where you do, are dependent on someone who works in customer service, one of the things that you've probably commented on them was their attitude. You went there and like, yeah, the service was okay and this and this, but man, they had a rotten attitude. Or, you know what, they, they didn't seem to really know what they were doing. There were some issues, but man, they were so friendly and their attitude was awesome. And it almost like, who cares if they didn't know what they're doing? They had a good attitude. Attitude is powerful. Your attitude has a direct impact on how you communicate and collaborate with other people. How you contribute to the culture, even of your work environment. If you're the person that's known in your work environment that you have this rotten attitude, I'm guessing that's why no one wants to work with you. If you have a very positive attitude, that's why everyone wants to work with you. Not necessarily because of your, your skill set, but because of the attitude that you have. Here's what I want you to understand. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. You determine your attitude. Okay? You determine your attitude. This is one of the few things in life that you have absolute control over. You can have the most difficult day, you can have the most crazy event, you can have the most rotten people in your life, and you determine your attitude. Attitude is a way you look at your life. It is the way that you choose to see and respond to events, situations, people, and yourself. Your attitude is not something that happens. Like I said, you determine your attitude. 
Your attitude is created by your thoughts, and you have control over your thoughts. The Bible tells us that we should take every thought captive, meaning it's possible. The Bible does not ask us to do anything that we cannot do. So we need to decide what our thought patterns are like and what our attitude is like. Attitude is powerful. You may not know this, but your attitude can get you fired. Your attitude can decide whether you're on the team or not. Your attitude decides whether you have friends or not. Because attitude is powerful. So we've talked about attitude, and you're like, what in the world does this have to do with marriage? But it has so much to do with marriage. And so because we've talked about the, the, the power of attitude, let me ask us some very important questions. The first question I want to direct just to the men. Men, what is your attitude towards women? If power, attitude is so powerful, men, what is your attitude towards women? This is an important question because whatever your attitude is towards women in general, it will rub off on your sister, it will be on display towards your siblings, it will be on display toward your daughter, and ultimately if you're married, it will have a display on your wife. It will affect those relationships. Women, you already know what question is coming, so let me ask you, what is your attitude towards men? Like the men, like all of us, our attitudes, women, your attitude towards men, it will impact your view of your brothers, it will impact your view of your husband and your children. Because that is the power of attitude. You cannot have an attitude, men and women, you cannot have an attitude towards the opposite gender and not think that somehow that will also play a role in the relationships that you have. And sadly... I think that for many people, many couples, married couples, they have this very negative view towards the opposite gender. And we're not here, like I said, we don't have time to dive into all the ifs. And I get that there might be all kinds of reasons for some of these things. But in my sessions with people, in my sessions with couples over the years, I have heard phrases like, well, it's a typical woman. My husband's a typical man. That's women for you. That's men for you. And because that's the stereotype and that's the attitude that they have towards their husband or their, towards men or towards women, it is pushed upon their spouse and it is like now the spouse not only has to overcome their own struggles and their own failures and their own faults, they have to now compensate for what they are accused all men or all women of being. And this creates a very complicated and complex issue because you're not only dealing with yourself anymore, now you're dealing with everyone. This gives us a window then, often into the hearts of what the attitudes are in the, with the couple and what some of the challenges will be. So I want to read us today from Genesis chapter 1, and what God and how God viewed men and women. So let's read Genesis 1, 26. These are well-known verses. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, over all wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image, in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he 
created them. Verse 28, God blessed them, not him, them, and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. We know these words, words, and we know these passages. God created, and we need to understand, and this needs to impact our attitude towards men and women. God created both in his image. The instruction that God gave here were to both. His blessing is on both. This is a view of men and women, and this is God's view of men and women, and this is to be our view and our attitude towards one another. So what does this have to do with marriage? We're back to that question. Well, let me suggest this, and you may agree or disagree, but I believe this. A healthy marriage has a healthy attitude. A healthy marriage has a healthy attitude. We can do 101 or 1,001 sermons on how to spruce up, you know, your love life. How to wake it from the dead, <laughs> you know. And we can have you read hundreds of books and you can listen to all these amazing podcasts and all this incredible information that is out there. And I want to suggest to us, though, that if we have a bad attitude, it will be a constant uphill climb. Now, like I said, and this is the only time I'll kind of push some of the other issues or other things, I get the fact that there are some of you in this room who have difficult marriage situation. You may have a spouse who is not living for the Lord, or you may have a spouse who is toxic, who is disconnected, and maybe even violent. So obviously I'm not suggesting that by having a healthy marriage, all of this stuff will magically go away. But we're talking today on the topic of healthy marriages. And so for those of us here that are working and have a spouse that is working with us, one of the things that we need to keep in check as we move towards developing and as we move through these key things that we're about to look at in having a healthy marriage, one of the things we must consider is our attitude. And if we start every discussion, if we start every you know, um, conversation, if we start every conflict, all of this, if we start already with an attitude that is against our spouse or is just negative or whatever it might be, it will impact how the, ad how the conversation and how the marriage goes. So I want to look today at a few key, key parts of what I think um, need are needed for a healthy marriage. Number one is mutual submission. I believe this is biblical, and I think it's an important part of having a healthy marriage. I am convinced that to have a healthy marriage, I must first and foremost live in obedience to Christ as an individual. I know that non-Christians can have great marriages, but we're speaking here from a biblical perspective. I believe that for us as Jesus followers, we must first and foremost consider our personal relationship with Jesus. And I must surrender myself and my marriage to Christ. My wife and I's marriage is not for our glory, but it is for God's glory. Therefore, we are not only accountable to one another, we are also accountable to Christ. And we must not ever let go of that and realize that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence, 
for Christ. And we know the verses that are coming, and we're going to just pause right here. But look at this. Three key things I want us to see in this passage. The first one is a command to submit. This word has been canceled by most of us. This word has been canceled by even many Christians. We don't like the idea of submission. Submission sounds like weakness. It sounds like you know domineering. It's not something that we want to do. And Christians struggle with this as well. Many relationships have developed a hierarchy. And the idea of mutual submission is dismissed completely. Yet here, in the context of a household, Paul is telling us to do so. The second thing we need to see is that it's not just a general submission to everyone. He says, submit to one another. And at this point, he's speaking more specifically to the household. And you can definitely tie in husband and wife in this. We can discuss roles and responsibilities within a marriage and family, and we can easily overlook that we need to, in order to fulfill our roles, in order to fulfill our responsibilities, we need to consider mutual submission. There's a need for mutual submission. A healthy marriage is not in a power struggle. Third, reverence for Christ. All of this is done in reverence to God. The word reverence in Greek here can also be used for fear, terror, and respect. Reverence, this reverence or this fear for Christ is to be the motivator for our submission, our mutual submission to one another. Paul repeatedly brings up Christ in the following verses. When he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ is brought into this image because if we do not have an understanding of the role of Jesus in our lives, we can take and distort these verses to mean whatever we want them to be. And Paul says here, you are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the motivation then for our submission, our mutual submission, is not social kindness, it is respect for Jesus. We respect one another as husband and wife out of respect for Jesus. And we submit to one another as an act of worship to Jesus. It's not just so that I can be a good husband. It's not just so that my wife can be a good, a good wife. No, we are doing this mutual submission, loving one another, caring for one another, submitting to one another, considering one another's needs as an act of worship to Jesus. We must submit in reverence to Jesus in our marriage. The second thing we need to do, second key, is work together. We need to work together as a couple. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, 28. God blessed them. I already pushed this. God blessed both of them. But look at the command. For both of them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And look at verse 29. And then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be your food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. These were instructions that were not just to one of the two. These were instructions to both of them. 
They were both supposed to work, the, uh, work, work in the garden. They were both supposed to be obedient to God. And from these verses, I would conclude that we clearly see that God intended for Adam and Eve to work as a team. It's so easy in marriage. It is so easy in marriage for us to develop our own hobbies, for us to develop our own likes and dislikes, and, and we begin to do more and more things apart. And I know some of you are already like, oh, please don't tell me we have to go shopping together all the time now. No, we want your marriage to last and it to be happy, but there needs to be an understanding that when it comes to the overarching part of our lives, we need to work as a team. It's not just about, well, what are your responsibilities and what are your responsibilities and you do your thing and you do your thing and we'll report once a month. And we're working as a team. Now, if your marriage is anything like ours, my wife and I's, <laughs> it would sometimes be easier and it would sometimes be more peaceful to work separately on projects, especially when it comes to renovations. But I want to challenge us on this. I think that's the point. I think that's the point. Consider for a moment your marriage. Your marriage, a healthy marriage, is willing to engage in areas that are not comfortable, that are not easy. A healthy marriage doesn't avoid conflict just to keep the peace. A healthy marriage considers why are we not able to work together in this. And some things, yeah. If I would want to go skydiving or if I want to go do those things, my wife would be like, bless you. Not happening. But guess what I might do? I might be there praying for you on the ground. And if you die, I'm going to kill you, you know? <laughs> so there's a way that we can work together without always doing everything hand in hand. We're, you know, we understand that. But obviously, one of the best places for this to start, if you are a parent, is parenting together. Do not treat parenting as a solo project. There is no such thing as tagging out. You are in this together. Work as a team. The healthiest resource you can give your children is a healthy marriage. Number three. This is key as well. Prioritize your spouse. If you have children, and you already know, hmm, this can be tough. This can be a challenge. So make a greater effort. No excuses. I'm sorry. You have no excuses. You wanted kids. You've got kids. Now you need to make the effort to work through those challenges and obstacles. There is nothing wrong with asking your two or three-year-old to wait until you're done talking to your spouse. Sorry, maybe that's old school, but that's what I believe. There were times we just said, mom and dad are talking, wait. Because what we were talking about was priority. We needed to have this conversation. And for the benefit of your marriage, it is a benefit for your marriage, and I think it's also a great life lesson for your child to learn that every time they speak, doesn't mean that they have the floor. You can send me emails if you don't agree. If you run your business, or if you are a business owner, then you know that in your business, leading your business, this is going to be a challenge as well. There's going to be a difficulty sometimes in balancing your work and your marriage and your family. So again, make the effort. There's no excuse. If you own a business and it's taking up 60 hours of your week or 80 hours of your week, make sure that that is a season and not forever. And then make the effort to connect with your spouse and your family as much as you can. When we were newly married and we had young kids, there wasn't a lot of money. 
uh, to go on dates and things like this. And one of the things that Maria and I decided early on, that was not going to be an excuse for us to spend time together. And so our dates were very often staying home, putting the kids to bed and finding those cookies that we'd hidden, the kids couldn't find, and having our snack. And woo, yeah. And then, and then more. It led to more. But anyway... Which leads me to my next point here is have fun together as a couple. Have fun. What do you guys do as a married couple? Think about this for a moment. What's the last thing that you've done that you had fun with? If your marriage is just always this drudging, like let's just get one foot in front of the other so we can make it, I want you to consider your dating days. Because my guess is that during your dating days you had some fun. Because if your spouse was no fun when you were dating, you probably would have been like, see ya. So go back to some of that. Have fun again. Do things that are enjoyable. Maybe you're in a really, really difficult season right now. I get it. We've been there ourselves. We've, we've had marriage counseling for ourselves. We've had moments where we're looking at each other going, why is nothing working? Why is it so tough right now? Why are we always at each other? What's going on? And one of the things that we found is that we needed to celebrate at times. We needed to have fun. It wasn't a magic cure for everything. But it gave new life again to our marriage. Number four, intimacy. Woo, we're going to talk about sex, folks. Sex, you need to understand, is never demanded and is never forced in marriage. Sex is not a weapon. It is not a commodity that you can demand. Sex, though, is part of a healthy marriage. Sex in a healthy marriage fulfills a need, but it must always be consensual. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. And this isn't just about affairs, as we're going to read in a little bit. This is being pure in everything, with your personal life, what you're watching, what you're thinking. The marriage bed needs to be pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. Where there has been hurt and betrayal, or where intimacy is empty or void of fulfillment and, and pleasure, this can cause an enormous amount of pain and even shame. Some pup couples have brought sexual brokenness, as an individual, you've brought sexual brokenness from your personal life into your marriage, and it needs to be healed. And I'm telling you, if that's you, healing is possible. It does not need to be something that cripples your marriage for life. Sexual brokenness can heal. And this is why it is so important then for us to also understand that intimacy is more than just the physical act. It is about feeling safe. It is about trusting one another. It is about honoring one another, about being patient with one another, about being gentle with one another, and loving one another. And I want to read to you a passage of Scripture that may never be associated with intimacy, but I think it needs to be at the heart of our principle and how we live towards one another as husband and wife. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14 Look at what it says here. Therefore, as chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Now, I know some of you are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're talking about intimacy, and you're talking about putting clothes on. 
brother, you got this all wrong. It's supposed to be the other way around. Some of you didn't get that. That's okay. Clothe yourself not with clothes, but clothe yourself with compassion. Husbands, wives, listen to what this says. Because this is what we are to do in regards to ourselves, and it will help us in our marriage. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I want to encourage you, use verses like these to move towards healing. If you find yourself in a place of tension, and we don't have time to talk about marital conflict and all that right now, but if you find yourself in a place of tension, take a passage of, like this and ask yourself, am I clothing myself with compassion? Am I doing these things? Am I bearing with my wife? Am I bearing with my husband? Have I forgiven him? Have I forgiven her? And have I, am I working towards perfect unity? Most couples... And when it comes around the topic of sexuality, never talk about it with each other. It's something they do, and they get kind of red-faced when you ask them about this. So I want us to treat this conversation of intimacy as you would anything else in your marriage. Talk about it, understand each other, and move towards healing if there is brokenness there. And then lastly, number five. The key to healthy marriage is spirituality. Of course you expect that from a pastor, right? But I want you to understand there's something about, as a husband and wife, both being committed to following Jesus. It gives you a foundation and it gives you something to stand on when at times it feels like everything else is falling apart. But as with sexuality, spirituality is often not really addressed in marriage. We just assume because you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, we must be doing well. So the question I would ask you to think about and process is, are you aware of how your wife is doing or how your husband is doing spiritually today? Do you talk about areas where you are growing and where you are struggling? Where are you seeing God move and speak in your lives as individuals? Share that information with one another. Jeremiah 29, we usually only read verse 11, but let's look at verse 12 and 13 to 14. He says, then you will call on me, God speaking to the people of Israel, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found, declares the Lord. We'll stop there. God is speaking here to the people of Israel. These are instructions to a community. Meaning that I think we can take these instructions to a community and we can tie them to our marriage relationship community. As a couple, I believe these verses are telling us that God is calling and he is asking us to pray to him and that we can call on God. And when we call on God, God says, I will be found by you as a couple. In that area where you're hurting, in that area where you are struggling, God is saying, call on me, seek me, and you will find me. You will find me. I will be found by you. This isn't just about doing a quick devotional together, but being vulnerable before God together. 
vulnerability trust. Something that couples need to understand, that we need to be open and vulnerable with each other in the area of where we are most vulnerable, where we want to speak about the least. Those are the areas that we need to open up towards one another and to God. So make your marriage a safe place where the two of you can go before God. You and your spouse, together with your Heavenly Father. When you do, as I said, God promises that He will be found. So a healthy marriage doesn't just pray together. That's good. It's awesome, actually. But a healthy marriage grows in Christ together. A healthy marriage spurs one another on towards a deeper relationship with Jesus. And it is spiritually vulnerable. So folks, that was a quick, very quick look at this topic. Much, much more could be said. But as I thought about how I wanted to end today, I want to take a moment and I want to pray for you as couples. And I know some of you have got kids hanging off of you and, and it's, it's you know, busy and all that. But I would like to pray for you as couples. That you would, if you find yourself in a place of struggle, that you would find healing. That if you find yourself in a place where you're just like, man, we haven't really done any maintenance on our marriage in a while, that you would, that you would consider doing so. And if you've ever done car maintenance, you know that sometimes the car's working fine and you're like, you know, we should, we should just check this before we go on a road trip. And you get under there and you're like, whoa, there's a lot actually broken. And you may find yourself, as you do like minor maintenance, that there's other things that need attention. Don't be afraid of that. And maybe you're just in a really, really great place right now. Praise God for that and continue to build on it. But as, I, as we close, I want to pray for you. And I would ask that if you're here as a, as a, well, if you're here and you're married, I would ask that you would stand. And I know some of you are like, well, my spouse is not here and I'm going to look like awful right now. That's okay. That's okay. But if you are here today and you're married, I would ask that you would stand. And I would like to take a moment and pray for you and your marriage. So God, you see the couples that are standing. And I know I'm not naive to the fact that within this church, some of us that are standing, we're not really sure where we are with our spouse. And so we just commit that to you. And we just ask God that you would, that you would accomplish what you need to accomplish and what is best for, for them and for you. But Lord, I want to now pray a prayer of blessing over these couples. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them, that you would make your face shine upon them. God, I pray that they would experience your spiritual blessing upon their lives. I pray that they would hold one another to account, not just to each other, but to you as well. I pray, God, that you would continue to do a work in them. I pray, Lord, for where there's healing needed, give healing. Where conflict has been avoided, give them a way to address it. God, I pray that in all these things, these marriages that are standing right now would grow to honor you, would grow to bring reverence to your name, Jesus. So Lord, we pray you bless them. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.
change.